Thanks for listening to the Benefits Breakdown. Stay tuned until the end of our next episode titled The Danger of Distracted Driving to receive a code for Sherm Credit. Now, enjoy the episode. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of The Benefits Breakdown. I'm Vanessa Longnecker, and I'm here with my co-host. Hey, everybody. It's Jared with you. Hey, everybody. Adam Compton. Excited to be with you today. We are pleased to have Steve Piccolino, our VP of National Benefits Technology and Strategy, with us today to talk all things benefits administration. This is a topic that has, for a long time running, been for front and center with many of our clients, but super accelerated in recent history on the heels of the ACA and COVID. Steve, would you introduce yourself to the team today? Absolutely. Uh, It's uh, very exciting to be here today. Thank you so much for the invitation. I've been looking forward to this. Um, I have uh, kind of a long history in HR software going back to the 1990s, and I've been with Brown & Brown now for about, gosh, I think about 13 years at this point and uh, have helped build our EB Tech team up from scratch. Uh, And so really excited, always uh, happy to talk about um, the the trends in Ben Admin software and and helping, uh, you know, use electronics to track benefits. I think that it's so crucial in today's marketplace. Steve, from the 90s to now, nothing's changed, right? It's been exactly the same. (laughs) I was going to say, was there HR software (laughs) in the 1990s? You know, it's funny. I worked for for a a software firm that did um, uh, accounting and payroll software for the construction industry. And all of the screens in that software were character-based kind of screens. And then it was probably 1997, 98 or so when uh, we started to build out the HRIS platform to bolt onto their payroll system. And it was the first uh, graphical interface that mm-hmm. they had ever had. Now that was still you know, loaded onto your computer's uh, kind of software. There was no such thing at that point as you know, software as a service. So um, no, nothing has changed whatsoever <laughs> in the last 25 move years. From the, <laughs> and move from the nice to have to maybe kind of a necessity with, could be the ACA to now COVID presenting all new challenges. Maybe you could catch us up to date on the state of the Ben Admin market and kind of what we're seeing in the HR software platform space. Yeah, you know, it's been really kind of an exciting thing. So um, back in the day, and I'll just kind of catch up from the from the 90s where we just left off a moment ago. Um, it was a luxury to have HR software at that point. Only the biggest construction companies that we were working with were willing to invest money um, there. And um, and it was really kind of a luxury all the way through the 2010s as well. You had uh, payroll companies coming online um, and starting to use software as a service around that point, but um, they, they weren't really attacking the benefits yet. And then along came the Affordable Care Act. And it was at that point when I was actually at Brown and Brown. Um, we were using software to kind of put sites up for our for our customers so that they could see what their benefits were, but not necessarily um, have employees go through an enrollment experience at that time. With ACA, though, we we really launched into a full RFP in the marketplace to go out and find at that time what we felt was going to be the best software uh, th- that we could utilize to help uh, with our customers, and so. Uh, that particular uh, group that we have now worked with for about eight years has grown from 120 employees to over 1,200 in the last eight years. And so the pressure on the marketplace to keep up um, with the regulations 
was very, very high at that point. And then since then, industries have grown out of that for things like decision support tools um, and uh, and just an overall user experience. You know, mine's better than yours and so on. So the people, your uh, companies really keep trying to leapfrog each other. And then what we saw when COVID hit, of course, was everybody went home and uh, suddenly there was a, a much bigger need for internet-based software tools that people could present to their employees so that they could uh, you know, enroll in their benefits without having to worry about being in person or using paper. Steve, what are you seeing as far as some of the focuses or goals of benefit administration systems today and how they're really helping employers integrate their benefits and make that process really smooth and easy for the employee experience? Uh, good question, Jared. So really, I always boiled Ben Admin Systems, Benefits Administrations, down to one sentence. And every time I'm talking to a potential customer about implementing software, I'm saying, you know, it, it should be really simple, right? We want to offer the right coverage to the right people at the right time and at the right price so that when an, any employee logs in, they're going to see exactly what they're allowed to enroll in. Um, it's obviously a lot more difficult than that. I mean, we've got some customers that have 25 different locations and 30 different benefit classes and people see different combinations of benefits or the same benefits with different prices and so on. And so to figure out that equation and make sure that people are seeing what they're supposed to see um, can be kind of a daunting task. Um, and that's, uh, we're going to talk a little bit down the, you know, down the line here today about uh, how to have a successful implementation, I think. But um, with regards to Ben Admin, that first sentence I just said is very important. But beyond that, what we're seeing in the marketplace is kind of twofold. On the one hand, you're, you're really trying to give employees the best experience that they can possibly have. And out of that, I did mention before, is something called decision support. ACA really forced a lot of companies to start offering different levels of coverage on the medical side, as an example. And so a lot of these tools now um, have, you know, have question and answer and algorithms built into their systems to basically allow the employees to talk a little bit about themselves to the system and then have the system make a recommendation for what the best buy is for their uh, particular family situation. Beyond the decision support that we see now, we expect uh, artificial intelligence to start um, becoming a factor as well. So, I mean, you can picture, you know, nowadays it's you go on your smartphone or you go on your computer screen and you log in and um, and you go through a series of questions and then you make your selections on your benefits. At some point, I would expect to be able to um, ask Alexa what, what my benefit choices are or be able to just say to her, hey, we just had a baby, I wanna add my baby to the medical insurance and have all of those connections you know, there behind the scenes so that that type of thing can happen. And I'm a little on the fence on the Alexa thing only because uh, quite honestly, um, it's not that difficult to make benefit changes. And so it's sometimes I wonder if if certain technological advancements are just so that we can say that we can do it versus uh, being super valuable. But um, we continue to watch these things. And as they grow and we see value come from them, that's, you know, obviously we're going to research them and, and jump on them. I think eventually Alexa's just going to say, based on conversations I've heard in your house, here's the benefits I think you need to elect. <laughs> I think you're right. And it's kind of funny, as I was talking about it and, and saying that name, I was worried that she was going to come on and start playing something in one room over. So I was <laughs> trying to be a little quiet about that. Always listening. 
Yeah. I mean, obviously, like you said, it's twofold, right? We've got the consumer experience. So the member or the teammate or the employee in this equation and what that looks, feels like in our ability to educate, maximize that education process. Certainly there's a lot of great tools, decision support being one of them. We have to be mindful of any tool we put in front of, right? Does it drive the right outcome? Some of these tools sadly can have improper steerage that, you know, does in fact impact a risk pool. So, education through the buying process and understanding what you're really getting is so prudent. Uh, There's a lot of cool concepts out there, but what do they truly deliver? And is it right for your audience and your goals and your objectives, right? So customizing any solution is so important and and really the name of the game today for that consumer experience and outcome equation. At the end of the day, what we're also talking about, the other side of this equation is data, all things data. You're moving tons of data in and out of this system. How does it speak to other systems? Speak a little more to that aspect, Steve. You know, it's interesting. If you think about yourselves, ourselves as employees of the the Brown and Brown family, right? How many places and how many different systems do we think that our basic demographic data is in, let alone the benefits that we're enrolled in with different carriers, um, payroll systems, um, and so on. And so one of the biggest challenges in this industry uh, as well as probably most industries where data needs to be passed around, is the actual movement of that data efficiently and effectively. You can think about it from the decision support side of things, for example. Um, so right now, uh, if I go into a system and it says, how many times do you think you're going to visit the doctor this year? I'm going to take a guess and it's going to give me uh, a recommendation based on you know the number of questions that it asks. Imagine if it could also pull in our claims data right? And then help us analyze that claims data to see are these, um, are these claims one-off claims that probably won't hit, hit next year? Are they typical claims that you have on a regular basis so that we can really estimate what your medical usage is going to be? And we can get that feedback loop going so that we can continue to make better and better choices year after year. Um, I think that that will contribute to bringing down claims costs along with the education of how people can basically be healthier. We're talking about wellness programs and so on, which is obviously not why we're here today. Um, But with regards to data movement in general, the industry is really trying to make as many connections as possible, and it's still all over the place. For the past eight years or so, we have uh, gone into these systems and built what we call EDI feeds to push enrollment data out of these systems once the employees make their selections uh, to push that data over to each carrier. It takes a while to build those feeds out, right? It takes a while um, to for the carriers to, to get ready for it. Um, and we what we have right now is a lot of different carriers have old legacy software systems in-house which means the ability to first move into feeds and allow for the data to come in electronically was one challenge. Now we're starting to see um, what they call APIs come along, which is basically where uh, when the employee hits save, that employee's packets of data can just be shot over right to the carrier uh, kind of immediately, which is great, except that the carriers aren't ready for that yet. And so there's a lot more programming that has to happen. And there are intermediary companies that are starting to pop up. So they want to link to the Ben Admin systems and link to the carriers and basically process the data through um, as a way to help circumvent uh, the, the building and the maintenance of all of these feeds. Take that and add to it 
how do I connect to payroll, which has a lot of the same data in it. And um, it's just still a lot of different systems with a lot of different data. And we're trying to tackle that problem as an industry as a whole. With the growth in the market, the quantity of vendors, it's got to be confusing for HR professionals and organizations to which partner to pick, which multiple partners to either bundle together, or do you try to get it all with with one partner? Uh, what do you see in that market space? Is there a, it's probably not one solution, but what do you see happening in the choose one or pick the best in class? Yeah, that's a great question, Adam. Um, what we see, well, first of all, what our goal is always is to find the best fit for any organization that we're working with. And, and that can have a number of factors driving it. Um, we work with a number of vendors and we've studied the market and done RFPs and we continue to study the market um, to help them. But the way the market is structured now is that you've got you've got some companies that are what I'm going to call all-in-one, payroll, HCM, Ben Admin, right? And then you've got a lot of different customers that are going to come in and say, um, I've got a payroll system that I really like, but it doesn't have these components. And in that case, you're trying to figure out which Ben Admin system, for example, might easily connect to that payroll system so that we can pass the data back and forth, right? Um, if they're looking for payroll, HCM, and Ben Admin, then that's a different story. They may need or they may want to evaluate the market and see if all-in-one tools fit. I will tell you that typically the dollars that a software company puts into their product are mostly going to go to you know what's paying the bills. In other words, a payroll-oriented company typically is putting most of their development dollars into payroll. And then the, the benefits administration system is somewhat of the, the ugly stepchild, if you will. Um, and so whereas true Ben Admin systems are usually much more robust than what you'll see in a, in a payroll HCM combo kind of a thing. And so you've really got to help the uh, customer weigh out whether or not an all-in-one makes the most sense uh, based on their level of complexity or whether or not they can even do an all-in-one. Uh, without changing everything over, um, or if it makes sense to get a best-in-class standalone, uh, you know, based on um, the look and feel of that system and the added functionality that they they typically provide. So we like to try and expose um, folks to a number of different choices because um, they don't know what they don't know, and so we want to educate them to help them find the best fit for their organization. It's tough. I mean. We talk about how difficult it is to be an HR professional on a lot of our different episodes. There's so many different things they're having to balance and so many different things that they're trying to focus on. And this is no different. They have to, they're making a choice that's impacting their employer, their employees and, and their, their lives. And so having that right system becomes crucial and making the right choice for that organization. Is it, like you said, is it the all-in-one or is it the best in class? And sometimes it, it depends on employer size and their limitations that way. Um, what kind of impact does that have based on, I'm not going to have a side hustle this time, Adam, so don't worry, you don't have to come up with that joke. Um, your, new, your new 500 employee group that just went through yeah. a six-month implementation, congratulations. Yeah. What, based on employer size, how, did the, how does that impact employers' choices? I mean, is that, is that something that comes into play anymore or is it just kind of doesn't matter anymore? You know, that's, that's one that we struggle with in the market uh, for a couple of different reasons, Jared. The um, 
you know, typically you're going to find that the larger groups have larger budgets and and more well diversified HR teams that uh, you know have people specific to benefits and things like that, and they might have a, an actual budget uh, built in for software. And so we looking at uh, more complex solutions, more robust um, uh, interfaces for their employees. And and actually, we really haven't talked too much about on the benefit, the true benefits administration side, more robust tools for. For them to help manage, you know, everybody that's supposed to be offered benefits, get benefits, and um, or refuse benefits, and so on. We've we've traditionally seen more of a budget uh, for the larger groups, as one would expect. There was another factor that's sort of going away at this point, um, which was that you know a lot of carriers had limitations on the number of employees for which they would allow feeds to be built. You would see a fifty-plus group or a hundred-plus group limitation where they would say we're not building feeds for this group or we're not going to allow for feeds for this group. And and that has come down quite a bit. And as we start to move away from a feed-based system to an API-based system, like we talked about before, I think those barriers will come down also. There are software companies out there in the Ben Admin space that um, are really built around the small group marketplace. They don't have all the bells and whistles Perhaps they don't need all the bells and whistles and they can get sites up and running very, very quickly. You know, they typically are not going to have a lot of complexity with regards to number of different plans or benefit classes or locations and things like that that you run into with, um, you know, your larger organizations where you need a more robust platform. And for the, and one more thing I'll mention too um, is that, you know, the larger you get, the more you need something like a payroll interface, right, to pass data back and forth between the payroll system and the Ben Admin system, because people just plain don't want to key that information more than once, nor do we want them to, because that's where mistakes are made and time is wasted. So, Steve, Vanessa and I are actually in the HR team for Jared's Thousand Life Company. Uh, <laughs> we are we have just signed the new deal with our HRIS Ben Admin partner and we're excited because we've got this implementation that's going to kick off. Mm-hmm. It seems like sometimes when we have these kick off or the implementation start, these timelines that are are kicked in or thrown out sometimes aren't met. And I know with your expertise in history, I just love to see like what you see from your best practices to either qualify that up front to make sure that it's a realistic time frame, not hey, we're 16 weeks, but all of a sudden we're now week 24. How do we avoid those going past the deadlines? Adam, the first thing you've got to realize is that most software companies that send a rep to your door, that rep is looking to get a sale, right? Just like, yeah, I know. Can you imagine that? That's how they make their living. (laughs) How dare them? But but my, I I actually do have a point here though. (laughs) I love it. And that is that sometimes, believe it or not, they will make promises that they're not going to have to deliver on right? That that's going to be left up to uh, an implementation team to try and deliver on those promises. Sometimes they may make promises about the software um, where the software doesn't really uh, actually accomplish the tasks the way that they may describe it. Uh, And so I think it's very important during the evaluation process, uh, first of all, when you're looking at a software package, to really think about what it is that our company needs. You know, so you're Thousand Life Group, you're the HR folks, right? Um, so you have probably by now had experience with, and the reason you're looking at software is because you've had experience where you've been frustrated. And so you're trying to figure out, knowing what has been frustrating, how I can get out of this loop of frustration 
And so um, you don't want to just speak to that sales rep and say, can it do this, this, and this? Yes, 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 yes. And remember, RFPs are typically filled out by sales folks as well, maybe with some support from more technical people. Ultimately, you want to get on the phone with the technical people, right? And you want to say, can it do this? And then when they say yes, you say, that's fantastic. Show me how it works. And really make them walk through the system for those particular nuances that you've got around your voluntary life insurance products or the way your HSA contributions work. Um, or, um, you know, I only want to offer uh, critical illness um, to, uh, you know, our, our employees if they choose um, family coverage or something like that. You know, there's and, and, and the thing to remember as well is that um, if you've got companies that don't have systems in place today, in other words, they're still using a, a paper uh, enrollment system. They may have policies in place that work for paper, right? Right. Um, but when you try to automate them, um, you're going to find that because you can do anything with paper uh, in combinations of benefits. And when you try to automate those things uh, into a system, remember what I said before, offer the right coverage to the right people at the right time and at the right price. So automation of those things uh, can be tricky. And that's why you've got to really figure out, A, can you automate stuff the way we want it to be done? Or B, can we make some changes in order to allow the automation to uh, to take over for us? Hopefully it's A, but sometimes it's B. I think you all speak to really important points too. I mean, you look, Steve, you say you're typically looking to solve for something, or maybe you have a point of frustration with current systems. I can't stress enough in our client experiences how critical that implementation process is right? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes you really just need to open the door to your counseling office and realize like, hey, we didn't set this up to perform the way we want it to in the first place, right? So whether it's overhauling the current to optimize its performance and output or sourcing a new solution that can better meet your needs and current goals, I'm sure that equally is a part of the conversations you're having with, you know, with your clients. But it is, it is, you know, designed to perform to whatever inputs you're putting in. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, right, those, those pieces of the puzzle aren't properly maintained as an organization evolves. Any thoughts there? Uh, yes, Vanessa. A lot of thoughts here. <laughs> <laughs> Pandora's box. <laughs> sometimes. I mean, that's the reality. The marketplace is changing. The regs are changing. Compliance needs are changing. Systems are changing, yep. right? And, you know, if you assume it's going to be set one way, right, and perform to those expectations or evolve with the changes, sometimes it requires some intervention. So I'm going to take you back several years. Um, we got a call from a uh, um, one of our brokers in, I think, North Carolina, and he had uh, a prospect uh, for uh, benefits consultation. They they really liked what Brown and Brown was bringing to the table. They really wanted to work with Brown and Brown on the benefits side. And then they said, by the way, we've got this software called X. I'm not going to name the brand here, but um, and and we hate it. So what can we do about it? It just so happened that that software called X was the exact same software that our EB tech team implements on a day-to-day -day basis. So we got a call from that um, benefits consultant and he said, why is it that we would have a software system that we love and this group would hate? And I said, it's probably how it was implemented. Why don't we have a conversation with this group and see, basically go online and we can take a look and see 
how it's configured, uh, and, um, and whether or not improvements can be made to help their overall experience. And what we discovered was that probably 30% of the application's power was actually being used and configured. Even the best software, Vanessa, can look really, really bad, right? And so you really need a combination of two things to be successful. Number one, you need good software, right? Because if it's bad software, I don't care how well you implement it, it's going to have limitations and it's going to cause workarounds. And those are the types of things that we're trying to avoid in the process of, of discovery and finding the best fit. But if you have good software, then you have to have several other things in order to make that implementation succeed. Um, first of all, can that software connect with carriers, with TPAs, um, with, uh, with your payroll and HCM systems, you know, so that you can pass data back and forth properly? Um, oftentimes, you'll see software packages that have a very limited, hard-coded list of vendors that they will go to. So literally they're saying, if you want to use our software, you have to throw away all of your, throw away your TPA, throw away your, uh, your carriers and, and, and so on. And so um, one of the things that we look for in a software package is, you know, is that flexibility to configure it and have it work with other systems. Another key that we see, which can be a big point of frustration, even for the customer, is how clean their data is. Now, most of the data, what I'm talking about with clean data is we want to be able to interface with that payroll system and pull in lots of different demographic data elements, right? Now, think about the way payroll is typically used. Um, It's used to get people paid, right? And so um, when people set up a payroll system, they're they're not thinking in terms of, I need to set this up so that people can get paid and so that I can pass this data over to another system that allows for us to pull that in and know what class that person should be assigned to and therefore assign the right benefits to them so that they can have this really great experience. So part of the implementation process that we have to go through is to look at that data and make sure that it's clean so that it, so that it's accessible and can be consumed by a benefits administration system on a regular basis without a ton of, of workarounds. And then I'll just hit a couple more things uh, quickly here. The quality of the actual implementation having people on staff that have worked with the software for a number of years and seen a number of different situations, and then the support of it there afterwards. And of course, we want a champion uh, you know, from every party. We need, we need the customer to have a champion to make it go well. Obviously, on our side, we want to have champions you know, in, on our team as well as from the brokerage side. All of those elements need to come together. It sounds pretty hard, and it can be, but you know, we want to avoid the frustration going forward. So we right. kind of need to insist on those things in the beginning, right? Yep. So Adam, you're helping implement my thousand employee group, right? You're in my HR team. Yeah, absolutely. Working hard. You better be. <laughs> you're on the line here. That's right. Who's going to pay for this, Adam? Well, I think we've heard a couple things. I mean, we've heard, I'm not sure if we're role-playing now, we're just coming out with the reality. <laughs> I think we're seeing that we've got the ability to uh, either say you company are paying for it, but it seems, Steve, that we're having an involvement of other people throwing money in the pot from, from yeah. carrier partners that are willing to fund some of these solutions. Because they're not cheap, right? I mean, we're talking this, depending on the size of the organization, this can be multiple thousands, even hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's right, Jared. They're, they're typically priced on a per employee per month basis, right? And, you know, so 
it's interesting to compare industries. The payroll industry, who's paying for who's paying for payroll? It's the customer every time, right? You know, we need to be able to pay our people and that's that. On the Ben Admin side, it's kind of interesting because uh, it's a tool that can can help uh, a lot of different people with regards to administration. From the brokerage side, of course, um, you know, that's your guys' world. Having the data at your fingertips to be able to help the client with, you know, evaluation of their benefits both now and going forward is crucial. And for the carriers, of course, they have to have the data, right? Um, because otherwise people aren't enrolled and therefore they're not going to be able to provide them with benefits when they need them the most. And so what we've seen over the years is um, a willingness. It, it started with one or two carriers as kind of a, um, I guess, a way to get their own foot in the door, right? Where they where one or two of them just said, hey, you know what? This Ben Admin stuff looks pretty cool. And if we can get the data fed to us, it means that we don't have to process paper enrollments anymore. It'll make us more uh, efficient in our own internal processes. And so they came up with the idea that they would create these tech fee programs, which would allow companies to purchase the Ben Admin software and the carriers would actually chip in some dollars in order to help offset the cost of that PEPM per employee per month fees, right? And so most carriers will now do that. Now, there are some rules that they put around it, okay? So um, typically, if you've got a carrier who's in force and you want to put a Ben Admin system in place in the middle of the year, they're not going to invoke a subsidy or a tech tech fee program because they they have to look and see how a particular uh, customer's you know run rate is with regards to claims and things like that. Some carriers will some carriers will actually uh, charge more. If they're putting in these fees, some will not. And so th those are some of the questions that we have to ask about in the marketplace. Um, but overall, um, we can definitely offset a lot of the costs because the carriers are using it to their own competitive advantage to offer these programs. Think of it this way. If most are offering it and one isn't, who's going to lose out with regards to providing those benefits, right? But all carrier programs are not created equally. And so when we evaluate the, the situation, the, um, you know, w when you choose your carriers or when, you're, when, you, when your groups choose their carriers, they need to choose, you know, based on the right networks and based on the right costs and things like that. But another factor that might play into this is, well, how much will they help us offset the cost of either implementation or ongoing costs with regards to the technology? And so it's a real thing. Such great points. Such great points. Obviously, a lot has changed since the 90s, Steve. And thank <laughs> you for sharing your knowledge with us today. I mean, the reality is... I had hair is, back then. <laughs> that too. Uh, the reality is, if you're still out there doing this via paper, there's a lot of alternatives. And there's a lot of means to get this done with carrier subsidy and efficiency gains abound. So, you know, again, software is never perfect but there's an abundance of opportunity to optimize an existing platform or source solutions that better fit your needs as you grow and you evolve. So it's not a conversation that's going away or should be taken lightly. And we appreciate, Steve, again, your time today to share with our audience and our listeners all of your great knowledge in this space. So thank you to all. And we thank you for joining us today and look forward to our next episode of The Benefits Breakdown. Thanks, everybody.